You're listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. Exodus chapter 16. Exodus is the second book in the Bible. On my Bible, it's page 110. Your Bible is probably different. Uh, Exodus chapter 16, verse 13. And I'm going to read about the manna. You know what manna is? The bread from heaven. Let's look at it together. Exodus chapter 16, verse 13. Exodus 16, verse 13. This is the story of the manna. And it says this. It says that in the evening, quail quail came out and covered the camp. And in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. And this dew, uh, it says, verse 14, when the dew was gone, a thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? For they did not know what it was. And that's actually the Hebrew word manna means, what is this? Like what the, that's what, so manna is, they didn't know what it was either. Some dew, and the dew is gone, and there's some bread on the ground. Weird. They didn't know what it was either. The very name for manna means, what is this? And Moses said to them, it's bread. The Lord has given it to you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Each one of you is to gather as much as he needs. Take an omer, which is about two liters. I had to look up what an omer was. Two liters of bread for each person you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it uh, by the own omer, each, uh, he who had gathered much did not have too much. He who gathered little, little did not have too, too little. Each one gathered as he had need. And then Moses said to them, no one is to keep any of it until morning. So you eat it that day. That's kind of the point I'm going get, to get to in a second here. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until the morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. Everybody say gross. So Moses was angry with them. And each morning, everyone gathered as much as he had need, and when the sun grew hot, it melted away. And the idea behind this manna that that Jesus speaks about, that the New Testament speaks about, that uh, this this spiritual idea that manna is only good for that day, this idea that your, your time alone with God, having a relationship with God, is good for that day. You need it every single day. You can't just, maybe, the idea that I, I know I've taught before is, is you can't just come to church on Sunday and say, oh, I've, I've checked my religion box for the week. That would be like only eating once a week, like a really big meal on Sunday morning. That would hurt you. That would, that would be gross. If all you ever did was eat one meal, you'd get very weak. You'd be a very weak person, just like you'd be a very weak Christian if you only ate once a day. And so Jesus takes this idea and says things like, um, he says, when you pray, pray like this. Pray, give us today our daily bread. Uh, and then he says things like, you can't eat bread, you can't live on bread alone, but you must live on every word that comes from God. So the spiritual idea that every day you need a relationship with God, and as we talk about the disciplines, uh, those are tools for getting us closer to God and, and spending time with him. So with that in mind, let's pray. God, we do thank you for this morning. We thank you that, um, Father, that you are here, that you're speaking to us. God, we ask you to open our hearts and minds that we might learn more of the disciplines, that we might use them as tools for a closer relationship with you. God, we thank you so much that you have given us disciplines and things to things to get closer to you with. And, and, and Father, we love you. We thank you. We love to be close to you. And it's in your name that we pray. And everybody screamed? Amen. Amen.
Amen. All right. Well, uh, did everybody have a good Christmas? You, raise your hand if you're wearing your Christmas clothes like I am. You have to. It's like the, you have to do it. It's like new clothes. Anyways, my wife picked out the shirt. Isn't that nice? Anyways, uh, every religion has uh, some sort of disciplines that accompany that religion. Ways in which a person can get closer to the God in which they worship. And I, I think the reason is, is God has made us all, human, humanity, with this image of God inside of him. And so everyone has a desire to know their creator. Everyone has a desire to get closer to the spiritual being that created them. And so, for instance, Muslims, uh, they, they pray... Five times a day, every, uh, every day, five times a day. That's one of their disciplines in the Muslim, uh, the Islam religion. Uh, they also, there's a month of the year called Ramadan in which they, the whole month, they do not eat anything during the day. From sun up to sundown, they don't eat anything. Uh, within the Hindu religion, there's yoga, like sitting still and, and getting in a weird, hard, stretching position to hurt your body or kind of stretch your body, and then, and then meditate that there is nothing here. The world doesn't exist. That's kind of the idea behind yoga. Um, I, I remember being in Nepal. I, sp- I spent about a month in Nepal, and I went one morning, I went on the roof to pray, and I saw a bunch of other people on other roofs in Nepal. It's like a very close city. You could see other roofs from where I was at. And I saw this woman praying um, to a little god, like literally, like she had this golden figurine, and she was sitting in front of it and, and, and praying to it and, and kind of going like this. And then she had some red paint and was putting the red paint on the little uh, golden god. And then she put some red paint on her forehead. And that, that red dot is, is sometimes called a, a bindi or a talik. Tillich, I think I'm pronouncing it right. And um, so that's part of a discipline that the Hindu people will do in order to get closer to their God. They'll do these things. Um, there's, there's, in the Hindu religion, there's these holy men called Babas. And a Baba will, uh, is kind of like an ascetic, someone who will leave society or someone who will live in society but do something that kind of separates them, that, that they do as a discipline for their life. For instance, when I was in Nepal, there's this big temple in Kathmandu called Pashipata, and uh, there lived a, a Baba there. He, he was called the Milk Baba, who had eaten nothing in the last 30 years except for milk. Mm. <laughs> and so that was his, his way of getting closer to God, his way uh, to his God, at least. And, uh, and there's another Baba that I saw an interview with on, called the Standing Baba. And for the last 12 years, he has not sat down or laid down, but has remained standing for 12 years. So he like leans against things or I saw he had this like set up with uh, like ropes to his ceiling and he would just kind of lean on it and, and fall asleep. But his legs were still touching the floor. And uh, <laughs> in an inter- interview, he was talking about that. Yeah, he's been standing for 12 years because his his uh, his sensei or I don't know, his sensei, his the guy that uh, <laughs> sensei. His, uh, what's it called, like mentor told him to stand, and then his mentor passed away. And so he's like, oh, I guess i got to keep standing. Um, we might laugh at that. It's, it's kind of funny, actually. But uh, in, in the interview, he said he did these things to burn off bad karma and to go to a higher place after his death. And uh, one more religion before we talk about the Christian disciplines. Probably the most, as, as far as a people group goes, the most outwardly religious people that I've ever seen, and this is, so this is just 
from what I know, and I've actually seen with my own eyes, is uh, the Tibetan Buddhists. And I went to, I had the privilege of going to Tibet and living in uh, the, the capital city, Lhasa, for about a month, and uh, saw the Tibetan Buddhists at work, doing their thing. And Lhasa, their capital city, is a very holy city. In that city, downtown Lhasa, is this, is this very holy uh, to the Tibetan Buddhists, this Jokong temple that uh, they will go down and they will just, hundreds of them, they'll be out in front of this temple bowing down to it. Like literally, like they'll lay all the way down, stretch out their arms, and then they'll stand up to their knees and then stand up and then raise their hands all the way up. That's one. And they'll, they'll do that thousands of times in a day, like eight hours, 10 hour days of prostrations doing that um, in order to, as a discipline. I mean, if you think about it, they're trying to get closer to their, their gods or they will walk around the temple. So there's just thousands of people walking around this big temple and uh, around and around they're walking, uh, they always walk clockwise, walking around it and they're saying with their mouth, Oh mani padme um, oh mani padme um, oh mani padme um. There's again and again and again, which means blessed, blessed the jewel of the lotus. And the lotus is like a a very symbolic flower to them. It's eight points. It represents the religion of Tibetan Buddhism. They'll, so they'll say that. They're walking around the temple. And if you've ever seen a Tibetan Buddhist, uh, have you, anyone ever seen the prayer wheels that they have? It's like a little wheel on a stick with a weight attached to it. And they'll, sw- they'll swing it around. And on the, on the wheel, it says, Om Mani Padme Hum. And then on the inside are like scriptures or prayers wrapped up on the inside of it. So the idea is that you're saying it as it's spinning. You're saying it literally with your mouth. And you're walking around the temple you're doing all this stuff as a discipline um, to try to get closer to your gods. And, and to compare those religions with Christianity's disciplines, I think are very different. And so this whole month, we've been talking about the Christian disciplines. And I wanted to think about, like, other religions also have disciplines, but what makes Christian disciplines different than other religions' disciplines? And I thought, there's two things. If you're taking notes, which are on the skillet, the first point is Christian disciplines versus other religions. And on the cover is for no apparent reason, me and Kurt Cameron. I did not pick this picture. I know. I, I met him like years ago. We should have, last month was eschatology. We, we should have had this picture last month. But I, it has no correlation with today's talk. So I apologize for the rabbit trail of me and Kurt Cameron on the cover. <laughs> Where was I? What was I talking about, Kurt? I don't even know. What were we talking about? Christian disciplines versus other religions? Okay. Point one, here's, I think, and these are just things that I thought of. These are the two things that really separate Christian disciplines. And you know what a discipline is? Maybe I should uh, restate what a discipline is. A discipline is, for instance, prayer or meditation. I have a list of them, actually. We'll, we'll get to this in a second. Solitude, studying the Bible, memorizing scripture. These are all Christian disciplines. To compare, compare a Christian discipline with other religious disciplines, uh, point one is this. I thought, uh, point one, the reason that uh, Christian disciplines are different is that Christians are to do them in secret. So number one, what makes a Christian discipline different than other religion, other religions discipline is one, Jesus says clearly to do them in secret. And so while other religions are, are just apparently outwardly religious, like the, the dot on the forehead for uh, Hindus or the carrying of a prayer wheel. Those are all outward religious symbols and things that people do. Jesus says, if you want to turn to it, uh, Matthew chapter 6, I'm going to read this passage where Jesus says, here's how I want you to pray. 
Um, So it's Matthew chapter 6, if you want to turn there, verse 5. And these are the words of Jesus. Jesus is talking about, here's here's how I want you to pray. It's very different than other religions. It's very different than uh, pagans. It's very different than um, uh, just trying to get credit for your own self. And Jesus says this, Matthew 6, verse 5. He says, And when you pray... Do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand praying in the streets and then in the synagogues uh, on the street corners to be seen by men. But I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. Maybe the attention or the credit they get for praying. But then he says this, verse 6. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not go babbling on like the pagans. I guess in Jesus' time, there was people that would just babble on and on. I, I, I know I mentioned the, the Tibetan Buddhists, you know, just saying, Oh, Mani Padmiyam, over and over and over again. Um, maybe that's similar to what was going on at Jesus' times. Uh, when you pray, do not keep babbling like the pagans, for they love, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. But do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask it. And so, to recap, the difference, number one, between a Christian discipline or any other religious discipline is that Christian disciplines, Jesus commends us, tells us to do them in secret, do them to, to not be seen. Inward spirituality is so much more important than outward spirituality. And number two, uh, number two reason, which I guess is really a really big separating dis- uh, reason for why Christian disciplines are different than other religious disciplines, is that Christian disciplines, uh, we are not saved by doing Christian disciplines. We are not saved. Um, they're, they're not for salvation. A Muslim person will tell you that they do, you know, they pray five times a day, they, they fast on Ramadan, they go to a pilgrimage, etc., etc. They do things because to them, Allah, every person has a scale and their God named Allah will look at your scale. If you have lots of good things, then your scale of good things weighs more than your scale of the bad things that you've done. And so Allah will look at your scales and he's like, oh, you've done more bad things than you have done good things. You, you get to eternal punishment. Or if you have more good things than bad things, well, then you go to eternal paradise. And so, that, so you would do things, do discipline things in order to be saved. The Hindu religion, similar. You, you burn off bad karma by doing good things. And so that someday you may be reincarnated eventually as a cow, and then eventually you would reach nirvana, their, their paradise, their nothingness, um, if you're good enough and keep doing good things. And so to them, uh, the Hindu religion of yoga and meditation and, and um, uh, we're reading their, uh, like the Bhava Gita and things like that, are good things in order to get you to a paradise, to leave this earth. So that's the Hindu religion. The Tibetan Buddhist religion, I remember talking to a monk in downtown Lhasa at this Barkhor Square. This monk came up to me and another guy. We were on a mission, it was the middle mission trip to China. I went to Tibet. And, um, we were sitting there and this monk, this Tibetan Buddhist monk, totally decked out in red, came up to us and said, can I talk to you? And we were like, okay. And he said, I want to practice my English. And we're like, okay, let's talk. And so we we're like, so what's your name? And, you know, we, we exchanged some pleasantries. And he said, uh, you guys are Americans, right? And we kind of looked at each other and like, is it that obvious? Um, <laughs> I was like, yeah, we're Americans. And we looked at him and he's like, you're a Tibetan Buddhist, right? And we're like, yeah, yes, I am. 
<laughs> and, uh, and so we got, he just like looked at us and said, oh, if you're American, you must be, you're a Christian, right? And we actually said, yes, we are Christians. And, uh, and you must be a Tibetan Buddhist, right? And he's like, yes. <laughs> and he got all excited. And we're talking in very kind of broken English. But he, we talked about our religions, uh, Christianity religion and the Buddhist religion. And he said that, you know, he talked about how he became a monk and how uh, to him, and so we're looking at all these people doing the prostrations in front of this Jokong temple. And we said, we said, have, do you do prostrations? He's like, oh yes, to become a monk, I had to do, and he said some numbers, like thousands every single day for like months and months and months. And, and, and we said, you know, like, well, why did you have to do that? And he said, well, I'm burning off my bad karma and so that I can, I can enter into paradise. And my friend that was with me on the mill mission asked a very, very cool question. Maybe, very like maybe spiritual question that just like really got to the heart of the issue. And he said, "How do you know that you've done enough prostrations?" And he said, "The Tibetan Buddhist monk said, well, I don't know. I guess I'm, I'm trusting in the gods that I've done enough.'" And I just thought, and we continued to converse with this Tibetan Buddhist monk. And so all, he was doing prostrations, doing things, you know, prayer wheel and on and on and on in order to impress the gods so that someday he may impress them enough to go to a higher level of, of heaven or paradise or something. And, and he was, he never knew how much to do. Like he was just in hopes that this God of Buddhism would look and have mercy on him. And so we, we began talking about the Buddhist, uh, the Buddhist uh, gods. And we really got to the heart of that issue that the Buddhist gods are kind of mean. If you ever do a Google search, type in Tibetan Buddhist gods and then like Google image search them. And they all have like these faces of snarling teeth and they're like got human babies in their hands and they're squishing them or like they're standing on a human skull or something. It's like they they don't seem like very gracious gods that would be impressed with your prostration so much so to give you uh, eternal life or uh, paradise. It just just seemed like he was doing all these things, these prostrations, literally like walking around this temple, around and around and around, saying Omani Padmium, doing the prayer wheel, and that at the end of the day, he was in the same exact places where he started, just in the hopes that that doing that thing would impress the God enough to give him salvation. And we told him in, in very broken English that we believe that Jesus... I think we even used the phrase, like we said, Jesus has done the prostrations for us. He has done the work of salvation. We only need to trust in him. That's what our religion believes. And he, he disagreed with that. But, but we got, the heart of the issue was he really believed that by doing the disciplines of walking around this temple, by doing prostrations, that is how he was believing he was going to be saved. Whereas we had something so different. We said, no, Jesus has done those things for us. We only need to trust in him. Um, and so that, that's, that's the main, main difference between, if you're looking at your notes, the Christian disciplines versus other religions. One, we're supposed to do them in secret. And number two, they are not for salvation. And so uh, before we carry on to other things, I have a few announcements for us for the Mill Sunday School. Do you like announcements? Me too. I like them. So uh, let's see. Next month, did you know that this is the last Sunday School of 09? kind of cool. So next month, well, next year will be next Sunday. I'll see you next year. Yeah, next year will be 2010. Do we say 2010 or do we say 2010? 2010? Okay. 2010. What? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Next week, uh, we are talking about the month of, what's next month? January? 
man, I'm struggling up here. January, we are, t- we are studying theology. And so uh, Daniel Grothy will be teaching us theology. Daniel Perkins, uh, Dan Perkins, Dan Grothy, Double Dans will start us off uh, the month of January talking about theology and, and who God is and the characters, characteristics, attributes of God. And so that's next month. We are meeting, uh, obviously today, we are meeting next week. Uh, I believe, uh, is it Friday? That's New Year's Day. And so Sunday will be uh, plenty. It's not, it doesn't fall on a holiday. So I guess that's all the announcements. Those are your announcements. Okay. Let's continue. I want you to look on your tables. There is a list of, if you're at tables, I believe in the back, we threw some back there too, there, on, on like every other chair or something. This is a list, and it's just a list, of Christian disciplines. And this is the list, uh, a couple Sundays ago, we, we talked about this whole list. And uh, this is, is by no means the list. It's just a list that I put together. And I, I thought of quite a few. And I, I researched and found other lists on the internet and books. And put this list together of what are the Christian disciplines. It starts off with prayer as a discipline. Fasting as a discipline. Meditation. Uh, so on and so forth. And the internal ones are things you do all by yourself. External ones in some way involve someone else. Like giving would involve someone else. Because you're giving to that person. And then corporate disciplines are the disciplines that we as a group do together. So this is kind of a list of Christian disciplines. And if you want a definition, if you're writing things down and like taking notes, this is the definition I gave uh, two weeks ago. If you want to write it down, definition of what is a Christian discipline? It is a habit or pattern. A Christian discipline is a habit or pattern in your life, a habit or pattern in your life that can repeatedly bring you back to God a habit or pattern in your life that can repeatedly bring you back to God and open you up to God's direction. I'll read it one more time. A habit or pattern in your life that can repeatedly bring you back to God and to open you up to God's direction. And so with that definition, anything that you do to try to connect with God is, is a tool to connect with him. Prayer is a tool that we use to connect with God. Uh, meditating is a, on, on God or scripture, reading the Bible or studying the Bible, memorizing uh, verses in the Bible are ways to connect with him um, that can bring you back to him or listen to him for his direction. And so that's kind of the, the, the big definition. Here's a list. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you at your tables or, or if you're in the back, whatever, find, find a list, uh, find some other peoples. And I, what I want you to do is just to pick your favorite discipline. So I'm going to talk about my favorite discipline in a minute, but I wanted to kind of, kind of give you a, a chance to discuss and say, what is your favorite? And it may not be like, oh, I love to do it. Like fasting is on here. Fasting, by definition, you don't love to do it. Fasting is going without food for a period of time, either a day or a meal or uh, uh, more than one day. Is that fun? No, that's not fun. That's by definition not fun. You're, 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 you're ceasing to eat. That's not fun. But it may be your favorite discipline if it really helps you connect with God and say, okay, when I go without food, I'm saying no to my body. Uh, I have more time to pray or, or so on and so forth. And so it's my favorite for that reason. Not your favorite because you love to do it, but your favorite because it connects you with God. You feel the best, at least in this time of your life. So do you get what you have to do? Pick your favorite. That's it. So I'll give you a couple minutes to pick your favorite and chit-chat with the other peeps at your table or around you about your favorite one. Ready? Get set. Go. Talking about anybody pick prayer as your favorite? 
couple people. Okay. Anybody pick the fasting one as your favorite all-time discipline? Nobody? No hands? Really? Yeah, so I guess it's not that fun. What about, uh, anybody like to memorize scripture? Yeah, I, I do. I got, anybody carry like little cards around with them and like go through flip cards of verses? Yeah, that's, that's kind of fun. I do that. Um, what about, uh, uh, what about a vows of silence? Anybody pick that one? That's a good, yeah, that's a good one. Anybody pick uh, celibacy? That's a fun one. <laughs> Anybody pick uh, giving as their favorite? What about some of the corporate ones? Uh, worship, did you pick worship as, as one? Do you love coming, just meeting together? That's, a, that's kind of a fun one. Anybody, how many of you picked meeting together? Nobody? Okay, a couple hands. Uh, confession, that's a fun one. Love confessing sins corporately. That's pretty fun. Um, and all these things, whether they're fun or not, I'm kind of being flippant about the fun idea, but whether they're fun or not, some of them are obviously meant to not be very fun. They're supposed to say no to your flesh, no to your body, so that you can say yes to God. For instance, the fasting one. Or some, almost all of them are either, maybe silence would also be, yeah, that's not very fun to be silent. I'll take a vow of silence for a week or a day or whatever, but it would open you up, it would give you ears to hear what maybe God is speaking to you instead of just listening to yourself um, speak or whatever. So, so that, the, the, those are the Christian disciplines and the list that at least I've made and, and found and, and put together. Um, my favorite all-time discipline is Sabbath, rest. Anybody else pick Sabbath and rest? And then that, that one, I, I used to not, uh, I used to think, that Sabbath is just, oh, this Old Testament word, this Old Testament idea of taking a day, whether it's Saturday or Sunday or whatever your day off is, and not doing any work. And oh, oh that's an Old Testament idea. And uh, I used to just think, oh, it's part of the Old Testament. We don't do that anymore. But, but this idea of Sabbath has really become, uh, I think it's a, the way of looking at it is, is it's a discipline. And it's a discipline of stopping. And so if you're taking notes, uh, sabbat is the Hebrew word, sabbat. And it literally means to cease, to stop, to knock it off, to stop working in the context of, of especially work. And, and it's one of the first things that's talked about in Genesis. God said he created in six days, and on the seventh day he Sabbat. He's rested. He ceased from his work. And so if God himself uh, rested, then he, and then he says, then you need to rest. And the fourth commandment of the Ten Commandments is what? Is keep the Sabbath day holy. And for the Jewish people, it is Saturday. I know that lots of us have Sundays as our Sabbath. I think the day that you pick is less important than the idea. But I, th- this idea of of being st- still, of ceasing. There's this verse in Psalm 46. We're going to spend some time reading this uh, at the end of Sunday school. But there's this, this one verse that, that really stands out, this idea of Sabbath. is Psalm 46.10. Maybe you've heard it before. It's a pretty popular verse that just says, Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. Just stop. Just slow down. And, and concentrate and, and take a rest. Have, have a day for rest. Have a day for play. Have a day where you don't do any work. And I think that is hard in our society. Anybody else find that hard to do? Like with the busyness and the craziness and your cell phone's blowing up and you got text messages coming in. You got to Twitter update yourself and you're driving and you're talking on the phone and you're like 
running errands around, and it's just and there's so much to obtain, and there's so much to uh, produce. We live in a very productive and use your time wisely, and be productive with your time. And you can always be doing something, even when you're doing nothing. You could still be on your phone or your computer doing something, updating yourself, or staying connected, or just working, or doing, or reading, or learning, etc., etc. We live in a very busy world, don't you think? I mean, Christmas is supposed to be like a holiday, a day off, and like we find ourselves like running around going crazy. I was reading this article of the Gazette about like this this mom that saved us. She couldn't shop until Christmas Eve for whatever reason in her schedule, and so she was just running around crazy. And, and I thought, like, why is the Gazette interviewing her? She's trying to get her shopping done. Leave her alone. But it's like the long, like going back and forth of this lady of why she waited and how how busy life is. And I just thought, yeah, that life is very busy. Do we really? still have this idea of being still as Christians is that a discipline just to be still and to know that he is God and to be still take a whole day a day every week and and rest and not do any work and and spend time either playing or on and on and we live in a world of workaholics you know what a workaholic is it's a person that's addicted to work. Here's the definition. The addiction is for work, for career, or a belief that they are the only one who could do the job right. Anybody else feel like that sometimes? Like, um, without this consuming focus, the workaholic may believe that he is a failure or that he or she has little worth. And I, I kind of joke, but not really, that I am a recovering workaholic. And I'll, t- I'll tell that story in a second. But... Um, that I want to, before I talk about that, I want to talk about the more of the discipline of the Sabbath. The Sabbath is the, the antithesis of doing. And so the, today, I am not going to say, you need to read your Bible more and point my finger at you and say, you need to pray more and you need to have a checklist and you need to do your homework and, and spend time with God. You need to do that. The, the idea of the Sabbath is just don't do anything. Just take a rest. And that is that in and of itself is a discipline. That in and of itself is is a good thing to do. And so it's a very different. Like we live in this culture where you know you, you got to do this, you got to do that. And sometimes I feel that we come to church and maybe maybe it's not said or stated bluntly, but then you just feel like, oh man, I've, I've messed up, and I got to do this, and I got to do that to get back with God. When the, the discipline of Sabbath is to do nothing. It's to either rest or take time off and play to have a day a week where you vacation. And, um, and it's the discipline of not doing, the antithesis of not doing. And imagine this. Imagine uh, being in the ancient culture of, of uh, Middle East, being a, the ancient Jewish world, uh, very primitive, very far, lots of farmers, a very ag- agrarian culture. And you have this rule, you have this commandment, the fourth one, keep the Sabbath day holy. For them, it was Saturday. And they had to not do any work. The whole culture was, was Saturday's our day, and we're not going to do any work on this day. So imagine, you're, you're a farmer, you say you're a wheat farmer or whatever, and it's wheat harvest season. And so you have to harvest the wheat, you have to do whatever you do to wheat, and to store it. If you don't harvest and store it, it'll rot in the field, right? And you have to get as much as you can during the harvest because that is the season for harvesting it. You can't harvest it in the middle of winter. It's not growing, whatever. And so you have to harvest it in the harvest season. And if you don't get enough for the year, then what will happen come around next year when, if the harvest isn't good? 
You and your whole family could starve to death, like literally. And so if you didn't harvest as much as you possibly could during that season, you were not preparing for the year and you could, you could starve, like I just said. And so imagine it's Saturday and you need to harvest some wheat. You're thinking ahead. You're worried about, oh my gosh, do, are we going to have enough food for the year? And you remember the, the law of the Lord that says, keep the Sabbath day holy. Would that or would that not be a very hard rule to keep? It'd be hard. You're thinking to yourself, we don't have enough food. Last year we had double this amount. This year we barely have enough. We have, but we still have to take the day off because I think it has more to do with trusting in God. You're trusting in him and saying, God, I trust that you will, you will provide for me. Even though, so I'm trusting you that by taking this day off, you are going to provide for my needs. And so in, in my world, as I'm thinking, like I'm thinking, for me, Monday is my day off, my Sabbath. And sometimes I think, man, I've got to do some work on Monday or else this week is going to be crazy. And, and, but I, I still, in my head, I'm thinking, okay, I, I do need to rest as well. I need to take a day off. And so if I don't, so if I do take this day off, then I'm just going to trust God that even though this week is going to be crazy, he is going to provide. And so that's this idea of Sabbath, of, of resting. And so there's lots of ways to rest. Some people uh, listing things just like to go skiing. That's kind of an act of rest. You don't have to actually like sit on a couch and rest. You can do things that are play. You can watch Lost as a Sabbath. Anybody else? Anybody? Yep, yep, we know. We know it's an addiction for some of us. Um, you can, Aaron Stern likes to remodel his house. Some people like to paint. Uh, I'll tell the story in a minute of how I am uh, coming over my workaholism, but I uh, like to fly fish. Anybody else fly fish out there? Fly fishermen, fly fisherwomen? Um, yeah. Uh, you go out and you, you spend the whole day uh, on a stream, and you, if you have like a really good day, then maybe you'll catch like two or three like big fish. And then as soon as you catch them, you take the hook out of their mouth, and then what do you do? You put them right back in the stream. What a total waste of a day, right? No, because you're, it's, it's a part of the rest. It's a part of the play. And, and you, 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 it's, it's this idea of just standing in a stream, listening to the, the waves of the, of the stream, and you don't have cell phone coverage, and you're, you're away from work, and you're spending the day resting. And that is what God calls something that's, that's holy and something that is, he says uh, to do it. It's not just like a recommendation, like you should take a day off. It's a command of his to take the day off. It's a discipline, if we want to think about it, uh, and as, as we continue to talk about disciplines. And so... Um, this idea that, uh, maybe I'll just share the story I was going to share uh, about me overcoming workaholism. Would you like to hear that story? It's a fun story. Kind of fun. Not really. Um, but fun for me to think. Of. It was a very hard time in my life. But um, about three years ago, um, there was our former senior pastor was involved in a scandal. And that scandal led to his uh, being released from his leadership position here. I'm sure many of you were probably here during that time. Lots of you, have, if you weren't, you've probably heard some of the stories of, of the scandal and how we have a new pastor, Brady Boyd, now. But during that time, that year after that scandal hit was confusion and hurt 
total surprise to the congregation, total surprise and hurt and confusion for the staff. And I was a pastor of the mill uh, three years ago going through that. And uh, most churches that go through a scandal of that size and of their, their senior pastor, usually the church crumbles and, and they have to shut the doors eventually and, and people don't want to be a part of that church with that history. But uh, miraculously, for some reason, I, I believe God was really a part of, of keeping new life together. New life did not crumble. And um, in that year of hell, really, uh, after the scandal for the staff, was, uh, for me personally, I can just say that I was hurting and confused and, and needing uh, to, to, to be led, but I was, I was a pastor and I was a leader, and so I had to give of myself of this, in this very confusing, hurt time. And I remember just, okay, what I need to do as a pastor is I need to, need to work, dig my heels in, and I need to minister to people. Back then, it was, uh, I think I was the only one doing the video, you know, the, the mill videos, and we do videos every week, and sermon videos, etc., etc. I was doing the editing and videoing and, and, and all that, and now we have like one, two, three, we have like three people on staff doing the job that I did, and also had, like I was teaching Sunday school, and just had all this stuff to do, and I was really just digging in during that time, and, and, working really hard. I would work probably 70 plus hours every single week, uh, day in, day out, working. I was newly married. Me and Erica would spend quality time together. We'd watch a movie or something, and I would be like on my laptop watching, spending quality time, like on my laptop. Um, just, just in this mode of like, I cannot stop. I have to keep going. And part of that was, uh, you know, I want to be a good pastor and want to help other people. And part of that was just an addiction to working. And I need to accomplish or else I'm, I feel inadequate. And... Um, and I remember finding this book, and I'm going to read, uh, this book is called The Rest of God, uh, Restoring Your Soul by Restoring Sabbath. It's by Mark Buchanan. If, if what I'm saying right now resonates in you, and you're like, man, I am crazy busy right now, and I feel like I'm never um, just needing a Sabbath, this book is a great book written by a Christian pastor uh, in Vancouver. And the first page, chapter one, page one, says this, and I'm, so I'm going to read it, and this is exactly like how I was feeling during this time. And it says this, um, it happened, happened subtly over time, but I noticed at some point that the harder I worked, the less I accomplished. I was often a whirly gig. I don't know what that means. I was often a whirly gig of motion. My days were intricately fitted together like that old game of mousetrap. Anybody remember mousetrap? I remember it was a dumb game. Anyways, uh, intricately fitted together like the game of mousetrap. Every piece precariously connected to the other, the whole thing needing to work together for it all to work. And there was little joy and stunted fruit. I justified to myself. I tell others I was gripped by a magnificent obsession. I once went 40 days without taking a day off, and I was proud of it. But things weren't right. Though my work often consumed me, I was losing my pleasure in it. And for that matter, in many other things besides, and losing too my effectiveness in it. And here is a secret. For all my busyness, I was increasingly slothful. I could while away hours at a time in a masquerade of working, a pantomime of toil. Fiddling about on the computer, leafing through old magazines, chatting up people in the hallway. But I was squandering time, not redeeming it. And whenever I stopped for a vacation, I, ju- I did just that. I vacated. I, uh, 
I spilled myself empty. I folded in on myself like a tent suddenly bereaved of its stakes and ropes and poles, clapped hard by the wind. The air went out of me. In my inmost places, uh, the, in my inmost places, I suffered the most. I was losing perspective. And I remember reading that thinking, that's me. Like, that's, like I'm just always busy and working, and I'm accomplishing less and less, even though I'm trying to work more and more. And I was, I was really losing my love of being a pastor of the mill, and I was, I was contemplating, like, is this really what God has for me? Is, I'm, I feel like I'm not good enough. I feel like I'm too busy. I remember one time going through a, a drive-in at Wendy's, like after the mill. I was just exhausted, but I knew that I had to work some more to get my Sunday school message ready, and, tomorrow, and Saturday was going to be a big day. And I remember going through a drive-through at Wendy's and looking at this drive-through uh, guy that was working, and I just felt so jealous of his job. I was like, if I could just you know, do a job where I can go home and not worry about it. I was just so consumed with, with working. And, 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 um, and so I, just, I was losing all pleasure in, in, in work. And I remember Aaron, Aaron Stern and I had a talk. And he was like saying, he was kind of telling me what I already knew. Like, you're not, you know, you're not the same Joe that we used to know. You're not, you're not, you seem like you're working all the time, but you're not, you know, what, this, the videos aren't that good. And, you know, it seems like other things in your life are suffering. And, and so Aaron Stern, being the best boss he is, he decided, let's give you a month paid vacation. <laughs> and he said, he said, here, take the month off, read this book, which is the rest of God, the, the book that I just read that part of. And he said, you have to figure out Sabbath or you're not going to, you're just not going to make it. And he said, figure out Sabbath, figure out how to take a day off every single week. And, and that's when I learned how to, to, to start learning how to fly fish and learning how that every, every single week I know that I need to legitimately take a day off, whether that's doing something or resting or playing, whatever. Like I know that I am a, a recovering workaholic and I know that I need Sabbath in my life for, for holiness sake, for discipline sake. This idea of, of stopping and ceasing this verse, once again, Psalm 4610, be still and know that I am God. And so we're going to take a moment here. We have lots of time left for Sunday school, and we're going to read this passage. Patrick and uh, Josh, why don't you guys come up? They're going to read this passage. Uh, Patrick's going to read it in the NIV, and then Josh, right after that, is going to read it in the message translation, which is really a paraphrase. The author really took time to to make it artistic and, and flow. And so what I want you to do is, um, if you really want, you could read along, but I, w- I would much rather you practice this idea of, of, of just listening and resting and ceasing and being still. So close your eyes if you want to. Meditate on the, on the words. And, uh, and let, let's read this. Let's, let's just dig in and, 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 and meditate on these words. Go ahead, Patrick. God is our refuge and strength an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. Selah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice, the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Come and see the works of the Lord, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. 
Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. God has a safe place to hide, ready to help when we need him. We stand fearless at the cliff edge of doom, courageous in sea storm and earthquake. Before the rush and roar of oceans, the tremors that shift mountains, Jacob, wrestling God, fights for us. God of angel armies, protect us. River fountains splash joy, cooling God's city, the sacred haunt of the Most High. God lives here, the streets are safe. God at your service from crack of dawn. Godless nations rant and rave, kings and kingdoms threaten, but earth does, not, does anything, he says. Jacob, wrestling God, fights for us. God of angel armies protects us. Attention all, see the marvels of God. He plants flowers and trees all over the earth, <coughs> bans war from pole to pole, breaks all the weapons across his knee. Step out of the traffic, take a long, loving look at me, your high God, above politics, above everything. Jacob, wrestling God, fights for us. God of angel armies protects us. Let's pray. So God, we do thank you right now for, for the disciplines, for the disciplines that help us get closer to you, that open us up to your direction. Father, as we have just slowed ourselves down, would you continue to remind us to slow ourselves down, to turn things off, to, to, to step away, to move away from, from whatever it is that consumes us so that we could be closer to you, Jesus. God, we, we do seek you. We take rest in you. We know that you have all things, um, and all things are known by you and all things are uh, controlled by you and in your hand. God, we trust in you. We take rest because you are in control. God, as we celebrate the, the idea and, the, and the, the practice of Sabbath, God, help us to, to continue to do that. Help us to continue to, to practice the disciplines and use them as tools to get closer to you and to celebrate you. God, we leave here in excitement knowing that you will come to meet with us. You will have a relationship with us if we seek you. So, God, we love you. We praise you. We, we give you our honor. And everybody said, amen. All right, my friends, go in peace. It's a little while. If you're going to the church service, there's a little while, like a half hour before that starts. So eat some more bagels. High five some people around you. See you next week. Peace out.